listening to the Top Music Guitar Podcast, the show for guitar teachers to learn about the craft of teaching great guitar lessons that students love. If you're looking to start or expand your studio and make guitar teaching your full-time dream job, you've come to the right place. Each week, you'll get to hear from some of the top guitar teachers from around the globe and get their best tips and experiences so you too can build your own dream studio. I'm your host, Michael, and I've founded one of the top guitar schools in Australia, written a best-selling curriculum, and I mentor guitar teachers. I'm excited to share my expertise with you and the wisdom of all the experts we interview. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Let's get into it. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Top Music Guitar Teaching Podcast, where we interview expert guitar teachers and people doing amazing things in the musical educational space from all around the world and ask them the questions so we can get the awesome information from inside their head out to you guys to have more impact on your students, build better businesses, and basically influence the next generation and current generation of guitar players so they can have a higher standard of musical education. Now, as always, I've got a real treat for you listeners at home, and today is no exception. I'm not going to try and do a biography for this person because there are literally so many things that he's got his himself involved in, so I'm going to let him introduce himself and basically tell us about all the amazing things. So Jason Martinez, welcome to the Top Music Guitar Teaching Podcast. Hi, how are you? And uh, thank you for having me, Michael. It's an absolute pleasure to have you. I've been looking at all the amazing things you've had going on Facebook and social media through a number of different projects. And I've been waiting for this interview for quite a while. So I'm so glad we got to make it happen. And I'm sure our listeners are going to really appreciate you giving us your time here today as well. Yeah, let's, I'm looking forward to it. Let's do it. So can you give the listeners a brief overview of your journey so far from being a simple guitar student yourself to owning and operating your own music school, being involved in high schools within your area, teaching at universities and even your guitar orchestras, which are very, very impressive. Oh, yes, yes. So thank you. So again, for the listeners, I'm Jason Martinez. Um, uh, my uh, main job here in the United States is that I am a uh, high school teacher. I teach uh, guitar and uh, at the high school level. And it is in a place called Newark Arts High School. It is the nation's first visual and performing arts uh, high school really in the country. So um, on top of that, I also teach guitar at the college level and also in my own private studio. It's called Tremolo Music Studio. So Michael, I became um, really enamored with guitar uh, because of church. I went to church when I was a, a boy, still do. I still actually perform in my church. And uh, I saw this really amazing guitar player form. And I remember asking my mom and dad, I'm like, hey, listen, I, I, I really want to take some guitar lessons so I could play like that guy. And my dad went up to him and my dad um, introduced um, him to, to me. His name was Jose Luis Serrano. And it turns out that Jose Luis Serrano was a Newark uh, public school teacher, and he also ran his own little studio. So I took some private lessons, and uh, he got me prepared for a high school audition. And so in, in, uh, in, here in the States, we have not only public schools and, and private schools and charter schools, but we also have magnet schools. So basically, a magnet school is you have to audition to get in. And in arts high school, uh, I had to audition uh, to get in. And the funny thing is that when I walked in with my guitar, Michael, uh, the person auditioning me was the strings teacher. And, uh, you know, he, he, I had to play some rudiments, you know, some scales and basic things. And then uh, he said to me, hey, listen, you're a pretty decent player, but uh, what are you doing here? We actually don't offer guitar here in arts high school. And uh, hopefully later on, we'll get even more into that in this interview, how the guitar, which is the most popular instrument in the world in terms of recordings, is not even offered at school. So anyway, long story short, I uh, ended up leaving. And as I was walking out the door, Michael, uh, the, the chorus teacher calls me in. He says, hey, kid, come back in. I, I, I want to hear you audition. And I'm like, OK. So, you know, I played a little bit of guitar and he said, listen, um, I'll accept you. But um, I'm the chorus teacher, but I happen to also play guitar. Uh, and if I accept you, you would be the first guitar major in arts high school. And, and, and so my very first year, Michael, I was the only guitar major. They stuck me with the piano kids. So uh, I, I was basically just playing chords while the piano players were playing. And it was through my arts high school experience that I went on to university. 
I studied in, in New Jersey City University. And the, re- the reason I prepared for that, um, it was because my teacher would pu- pull me to the side and say, listen, you know, I'm teaching piano here. Oh, by the way, he was also a chorus teacher. And he said, if you want me to dedicate some time to you, you know, playing guitar, then you would have to stay after school or come zero period. So my memories of high school was really early, Michael, or really staying late, learning the craft. Uh, but that propelled me to go into uh, college and, and major. I actually double majored in guitar uh, performance and also education. After that, I became a public school teacher and uh, I opened up my own studio. And to be honest with you, I'm not sure how it is over there in your side of the world, but my studio, Michael, I'll be honest with you, I don't even know how it's so successful because it shouldn't be. See, I'm I'm basically teaching the important instruments, the instruments that you hear on the radio. And the reason why it's so successful is because the schools just aren't doing it. They focus on the big three. They focus of, on chorus, band, and orchestra. And I'm like, okay, that's great. But um, can can you turn on the radio and name that oboe player that's playing or that bassoon player? Probably not, because you're probably not hearing that in the top 40 songs. You're probably hearing guitar and these instruments. So all of that really um, has helped me uh, propel myself to uh, this level of education. Yeah, that's an amazing story so far. And I think so many great beginnings start off with the story of not getting accepted, but finding a way to go in and make it work. And then, of course, changing the course of histories. Can you just clarify for me, um, a chorus teacher, is that like the choir teacher? Yes, exactly. So uh, his name was Louis Melcher, and he was the piano teacher at that time and also the chorus teacher uh, here in, 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 our, in our high school. Yeah, it's the same thing as choir. It really depends on the size of the group that we use either the term chorus or choir. Yeah, well, thank you for clarifying that up. I know there's going to be a, a couple of little variations between our dialects, but sounds like an amazing story so far. And, and it's very interesting that you touch on what you hear on the radio and what shouldn't be successful. And this is uh, not so much the debate, but the discussion I have with lots of um, teachers around the world is there's kind of like the classical backgrounds and maybe not Classical might not be the right word. It might even be the academic approach to music. And then there's the real world approach to music. And what you hear on the radio, like uh, a lot of privately owned music studios focus on rock and contemporary, you know, guitar, your piano, your keyboard, all those kind of things. But so many of the traditional instruments is what you would learn at high school or a more prestigious academy like um, our College of the Arts and things like that. So they're almost at two completely different worlds. Yes, no, absolutely right. And the essence of education is to make sure that you really hone in onto what the student really likes. And here in the States, and I'm sure over there in Australia as well, I'm sure the students want to learn whatever the top 40 is. But the students need to understand that when you uh, get into any art, you have to really understand the classic, the, the, the classic formation of it, understand the the, 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 the proper way to hold the instrument and, 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 and even play. And I really feel that classical music and, and having that classical background really gives you that very uh, solid foundation to propel yourself to play really any style of music. Yeah. And I definitely want to ask you more about classical guitar, but it's interesting for me that we're talking about classical, but you're also talking about teaching pop and top 40, or at least you said top 40 in your own school. So do you differentiate between contemporary guitar and classical guitar or somehow modify a classical approach for contemporary music? Oh, that's a good question. So here um, in arts high school where I teach and uh, for the listeners who are listening in and just realize I, I do actually teach in my alma mater. So the school I graduated from where I was the first guitar major, now I'm actually teaching there. And it, it still feels strange, Michael, holding my teacher's keys and opening his classroom. I have to tell myself, wait, it's my classroom now. But uh, <laughs> But uh, the way I design my year is I break down our school year, which is 10 months. We break it down into four cycles. And the very first cycle, I focus out on a classical guitar, uh, everything from finger picking and arpeggios and scales. And then we go into jazz music. We go into blues, some flamenco music as well. And then we go into electric guitar and rock. So I try to infuse... Um, all of the different styles, because my main objective is to make sure that the student, first and foremost, falls in love with the instrument, falls in love with that art, 
And once I know the student has that passion for it, I could definitely propel that student to higher levels. Fantastic. And I think that exposure to all those other kinds of music is really important. My high school music was essentially three years of classical music, and then we got to choose what instrument we played and what we could work on. And I know so many people just couldn't stand music class because it was like, oh, we're learning this really boring old stuff. This isn't relevant. And as soon as we got to pick our own thing, that's when like it, it really changed for me to the point where uh, it, this is going to be funny, maybe for you, but my listeners have heard this story before. When I was in my first year of high school, I uh, did a, a musical aptitude test. They make everyone do the test in, in the first year, in the first week. And I was the first person in like five or six years to get 100%. So apparently I did really, really well. They invite all like, you know, the top 10% or the top 20% down to music night and they have the, the school band play and the stage band play and show off the classical orchestra and the jazz band. And at the end, they try and sign you up for an instrument. And I remember the, the band leaders going, Michael, we've got the perfect instrument for you. Here it is. It's an oboe. And me and my dad just looked at each other and started laughing <laughs> because uh, we were like, are you serious? Like, and my dad actually goes, well, where's the proper instruments like guitar and drums and stuff like that? And this really annoyed the teacher um, running the program. But um, my dad just looked me in the eye and goes, do you want to learn guitar or drums? And the teacher was like, oh, we can kind of do that, but it's not really that. We do have that program, but today he's not about that. And uh, I, I froze up. I go, oh, in my mind, I like my heart skipped a beat because I really, really wanted it more than anything. But I got all shy and said, oh, I couldn't do that. No, no. Anyway, long story short, two years later, my cousin let me play his guitar and that was that was it. And then... I asked my dad and he's like, I've been waiting two years for to ask about guitar lessons and we went and got my first guitar. But that was literally coinciding with in year nine, three years later, the fact that we could actually pick what instrument we wanted to learn. And I chose guitar because it was the, the better one out of piano and voice. And the minute I played that first note, I was in love with it. And literally the point where for the rest of my life, I knew in that moment, that's what I wanted to do. Oh, I agree. I definitely could concur. I mean, I remember holding the guitar for the first time, Michael, and as soon as I strummed the E minor chord, that did it for me. Um, no, but you know what? It's funny you say that. Um, here in arts high school, there's a lot of students that come to me and they say, hey, listen, I, I play band. I'm in the band or or I'm in another major that has nothing to do with music because, you know, in arts high school, we also offer the visual arts. We also we offer journalism, TV, uh, dance and drama. So a lot of those students come to me and they say, listen, even though I enjoy my my uh, my my other major, I still want to learn guitar because it's just it's just a, such a cool instrument. So um, my principal this year, uh, her name is Devon Dumnos. She's just a brilliant leader. Uh, she actually pioneered a program to start Guitar Minor. So now I have students that meet at 7.30 in the a.m., Michael. They come in. We call it zero period. And uh, before school starts, they come in and they play guitar. And they also are being trained the same way as my actual majors. When and My approach, by the way, to the uh, classical stuff has been instead of just learning finger picking, let's take some contemporary chords uh, from some contemporary songs right now in the States, uh, Miley Cyrus is very big, a song called Flowers. And, you know, we analyze it, we break it down and we say, look, it's just basically four chords, but we're going to finger pick it in this way. And then they love it. And then I say, well, listen, that finger picking arpeggio technique, that's actually a classical staple. And now we could infuse that in an actual classical piece. So that's how I bring it all together. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, how this so many things I want to ask you right now, and I know I'm, I'm on good, I know I'm doing a good interview when I'm like you know captivated and have so many questions myself as inspired by what you're saying. What I was going to go into was so many teachers have the problem of how do I get my students to practice, but you have your students voluntarily coming into school an hour early or two hours early to to learn guitar. So how are you attracting these kind of students, and what is it about what you're doing? And this might be more broadly part of um, just music students in general, but it could also be specific and unique to your passion and how you're igniting that little spark in your own students. But how are you getting these students to come early, to commit to these before school times and obviously put in the work at home? That's a good question. You know, um, my main secret has always been to try to get the students to perform, even if it's just for a small group of people. You know, I noticed that when I tell my students, okay, guess what? Here's a piece of music. We're starting it now and we're about to perform it in about three or four weeks. 
it really gets them motivated to know that, oh my God, I have to present this for, for my fellow peers, especially. And so we have in, in, um, in my school, we have something called seminar. And basically we get all the majors together and we play for the majors and we ask the majors to give us some feedback, some positive uh, feedback. And if there's anything uh, that we could work on, we encourage that as well. So I, I feel like as soon as you get your students motivated to, uh, to perform, uh, that would really get them to, to practice. But, you know, here also in my magnet school, I got to be honest, I'm, unlike a lot of schools here in the States, uh, my students have to audition to get in. So another component of motivation is we tell them, listen, this is a magnet school. Like we attract you here. So if you don't practice, then you're basically going to not be accepted the following year and you're going to go to your neighborhood high school. And the students really want to stay. They really want to stay in, in, in our school. It's a safe school. It gives them a lot of opportunities to go out there and perform. So all of those little motivation uh, aspects really gets them to even come in the door, even like you said, so early in the morning. Yeah. And I like this idea of like a, a magnet school where you're obviously attracting a higher caliber of student. People are a little bit more serious about it or you're not just having people go, oh, I think I might try guitar and see if I like it. You've got people who are like, I want to be a guitar player. Who's the best person to teach me? Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the benefits of, uh, of our school. And like I said, we, were the, the, we are the nation's first visual and performing arts. And uh, we have other visual performing arts high schools in the country that actually took our idea, basically, and uh, really ran with it. But, you know, I'm glad that it's, it's springing up all over the states and hopefully all over the world. Yeah. And has it been like a, a strategy to get the attention and the awareness outside of what you're doing? I, I first came across just your Facebook groups of a whole bunch of really happy students playing through things and not just like uh, your general, that's nice, dear, kind of, you know, grandma comes because she loves you, but she's not really impressed with your playing. To these very, very talented musicians, very high caliber players putting on world-class kind of performances. So, has there been an active plan in, t in terms of uh, promoting yourselves and getting the word out there? Yeah, we do a lot of different things for promotion purposes. One of the things that I'm also involved in is something called the NJMEA. That stands for New Jersey Music Educators Association. Um, and uh, I'm involved in their honors guitar ensemble. It's basically like an all-state ensemble where students from the entire state have to audition uh, to get in. And we have the top players really in the state. Uh, get involved and we go and perform. But one of the motivators there is that we always bring in a special guest and this special guest uh, will perform with us and then also give us some master classes or just even some tips. And maybe we could even go to their concerts. So all of these things really help the students um, stay engaged in the learning process. Now, I, I could go once again, as I said, in so many different directions. Uh, what's it like having students like audition for you? Because so many teachers are all about, I need to take whoever I can get because I'm on the point of being broke. Uh, and maybe if they get the wrong vibe from a student, they won't take them on. But the vast majority of teachers uh, don't have enough students, whereas you're getting them through auditions. So how did that come about? What are you sort of looking for? And ultimately, what decides, uh, can, can you see the potential in students and what decides who gets in? Well, that's a very good question. Um, in, in my school, in arts high school, our program is still small relative to, of course, the chorus program um, and even the band program. Uh, one of the things that I do is I go to the middle schools. I either perform in the middle schools or I send one of my students to go and perform. And then we talk about our high school. And then we also go to local shops just to see if they have any eighth graders or incoming freshmen to see if they're motivated uh, to enter uh, our school. Uh, and of course, we have a lot of different promotional um, uh, things that we could do uh, with them that can motivate them to even enter. One of those things is uh, to, to you know, uh, show them uh, how they could uh, join other all-state groups and maybe even join all national groups, um, maybe even all international groups that all stem from joining Arts High School. Because of I'm the director of the NJMEA, I happen to have a lot of connections with that sort of the a part of the world where I could get the students motivated to not just join Arts High School, but continue to explore guitar, I, or I should say really the, the career of guitar uh, in, in, in all parts of the world. So my main concern is not just to give them an education here in high school, but to show them that everything that they're learning in my school 
could help them become a much broader musician and help them become a professional musician all throughout the world. Amazing stuff there. Uh, I want to go back a, a little bit to what you said about, obviously, when we had a, a little bit of a chat about students coming in an hour early. Obviously, you've got guitar majors or music majors. You've got people taking other creative courses and who are doing guitar as a side kind of class. How many contact hours with you or learning hours, time spent on the guitar and or learning music theory do most of these students have with you? Oh, it's a good question. So I see my students every day, uh, even the students that are minors, we, we see them every day, Monday through Friday. And what I do is I make sure that each day has a target goal. For example, on one day, we focus a lot on just uh, the basic techniques, uh, arpeggios, even flat picking and playing uh, the different styles of guitar. I'm lucky that in my classroom, I have nylon string guitars, I have electric guitars, and of course, the steel string folk guitars. Other days of the week, I focus on theory because it's very important for the students to understand not just how to play the notes, but understand why they're called what they're called. I can't tell you how many times the student says, well, why is this chord called C major seven? And I always tell them, well, well let's first learn how to play it. And then we're going to get into why it's called what it's called, because that's very important. And by the way, that's especially important for guitar players. I'm not sure about you, Michael, but what I've noticed is a lot of guitar players tend to shy away from reading uh, notation. They go right into tablature. And I tell them, well, if you look at any other instrument, there is no tablature for trumpet. There is no tablature for violin. They actually just play the notes. So I'm very, very keen on focusing on, on theory. Uh, and we also explore other great um, uh, sites. Uh, one great site that I love, Michael, is called Musician. Musician is an online-based uh, computer software program where the students could play along to the track. And it basically corrects them along the way. Uh, and uh, we also do a lot of music history. And on all of these things, um, I feel that really motivates the students to come in because it's like they can't get enough of it. And that, that makes me feel really, really happy to, to make sure that I'm giving them a well-rounded education. Yeah, that, that's very, very interesting. I think I can speak for a lot of teachers is one of the problems that we have with our students, especially in our private studios, is we've only got them for one hour a week or half an hour a week. And this, the parents often go, how come little Jimmy's not good at guitar yet? And you're going, well, what is he trying to play? Oh, this Jimi Hendrix song? How long did Jimi Hendrix play before he recorded that song? Oh, 10 years? Okay. And uh, how long has Jimmy been playing for? Six, uh, six months? Okay. And how much does he practice? Oh, not at all. Uh, how much contact time do we have? Half an hour once a week. It's, it's very difficult to get these um, students to a certain point on limited time. And I don't know what it's like in America, but here in Australia, most people do an hour of maths and an hour of English every day in school. And most people are below average or not very great at maths and English. Yet when it comes to music, I don't think music is anywhere near as respected within the academic system here in Australia as it is in other parts of the world. But we're trying to get a lot out of as little time as possible. So it's really great to hear that even the people who aren't majoring in guitar are still getting daily contact with you. And one thing I've noticed, and maybe you can confirm, because this was one of the questions I was going to ask you, is you know what are the behavioral patterns shared by all the successful students? What I've noticed is the people who are successful are the people who want to be guitar players. They're not wondering if they're going to try it out and see if they like it. They're not uh, doing it as a bare minimum because it's a way of getting out of class. They're the people that as you said, love the history, who are actively interested in learning more about the instrument, and they pick it up and play it every day, partly because they love it, but partly because they've got that burning desire to get better as well. No, no, yeah, you're absolutely right. I always tell my fellow colleagues that I'm very lucky in my position because I happen to see the students every day. So I see my, my guitar players, my, my minors, I see them for about 40 minutes. That's what we call that one period. But then I have guitar majors. And here in the States, we our high school is from grades 9 through 12. So in the mornings, I see my 9 through 10th graders, so we call them freshmen, sophomores, and I see them for uh, a block. So we, we see them for 80 minutes, and that's every day, 80 minutes. And then my uh, afternoon time is when I see my juniors and seniors, again, for another 80 minutes. So uh, they're, they, they're practicing guitar with me every day. Um, which is, like you said, not the case in most other schools where they only have 
their their instrument for once a week. And it's funny how you mentioned parents too, because I, I have parents uh, even in my own private studio tell me, "Listen, um, I want my my son or my daughter to play like uh, like your other student played, the one who opened up the concert. How come she played so well and my son's not there yet?" And I said, "Well, treat it treat it like a sport. You know, like when you see um, over here, uh, basketball is very very uh, big in the states. Uh, the students don't just play don't play basketball in gym class. Then they play basketball every day after school and all day long uh, on the weekends. If you treat music the same exact way, then obviously they're going to be you know that good. So it all depends how much time they put into it. Yeah, one hundred percent. And I think there's always you know a little bit of Envy might not be the right word, but their parents going, we've got the same teacher. Uh, how come we're not getting the same result? But it's not necessarily always what happens in the lesson. Um, obviously, when they're seeing you five times a week, that's a really big part of it. But what happens in the six days between lessons for people coming once a week is all the difference. And you're absolutely right. The people who get good at sports, the people that live and breathe every single moment, who do it at lunchtime, who do it straight after school, whose parents have to bring them in off the street for dinner because they're having too much fun outside, same thing with guitar, the kids who just pick it up or even the adults, the people who just pick it up and play because they love it. They're the ones that uh, always end up with getting the best result. And sometimes it's without even trying it just because they, they passively accumulate so much time of actual playing. They just get there. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And you know, Michael, one of the other things that I do, as you know, I, I run my own private studio. It's called Tremolo Music Studio. And one of the approaches that I do is from the Suzuki technique, where I try my best to even get parents involved in the lesson. Other music studios are basically just one room, just the teacher and the student and the parent usually just waits in the rating room. But the way my studio is designed is uh, the, the parents are watching the lesson right there. And I tell the, the parents here, now you come in and grab a guitar and uh, try to play along with your child because my goal is for them to also practice along with your child at home. And Michael, let me tell you, I've tried so many things. Um, I, I've tried for students and even parents to fill in practice logs and uh, make sure the parents sign the logs just to make sure that they practice. But I find that parents are kind of lying about the log too. Oh no, my little Timmy practiced 60 hours this week. Oh really? But he still can't play past the first page. So something is going, you know, so I thought something is off. So, um, you know, the, the key there is as long as you can get the parents involved in the learning process and give the student as many opportunities to go and perform, I find that the child will excel a little bit more rapidly uh, in, in the learning of the, of the instrument. I think playing opportunities always have, it's something about having a deadline to work towards makes them like just get their bum into gear right at the, the right moment, especially like three weeks out and the, the reality realizes they're going to be in front of a bunch of people watching them play that. They, ah. Oh, no, yeah, exactly. You're absolutely right. Uh, here in my town, um, we always perform in little bookstores called the Ant Bookstore. And it's just a few blocks away and they always are, are willing to give me their space. So uh, whenever I want to have a performance, um, they say, come on in. And that really, like you said, it really motivates the students to know, oh, oh there's a deadline. I got to really get into gear here. Most definitely, yes. Something about that deadline puts the fear of uh, God into it. <laughs> That's right. That's what seems to work. Now, this performance opportunity, obviously, you're having students do solo performances. Um, but it might be a good segue into your larger ensembles and your guitar orchestras because these are what first caught my attention online is you know, having you with a dozen or so other guitar players performing in a, a guitar-based orchestra. So do you want to tell us about your guitar orchestra projects? Oh, yeah. So I have two main guitar orchestra projects. Uh, one is uh, based off the NJMEA uh, organization, and it is called the NJMEA. It stands for New Jersey Music Educators Association. And we call it the Honors uh, High School Guitar Ensemble, where we have the top guitar players here in Jersey. Uh, perform. And uh, we are definitely uh, excited uh, to continue this. We have uh, already done several performances and we have three upcoming performances. We have a performance in April, April 30th, here in Long Island in a very important and prestigious festival called the Long Island Guitar Festival. And then we have another great performance in New Jersey City University, which is my college alma mater. And then we have uh, one final one in Kane University, where we're going to be playing the Los Angeles Concerto. It was written by Shingo Fuji, and the guest star is Grammy Award-winning William Kangeiser. 
who's a very big name here in the States. And the other group that I run is called the New Jersey Guitar Orchestra. And it is basically the adult group. So the way that works, Michael, is my high school students who graduate don't necessarily want to continue to, let's say, major in college in music, but still want to play guitar. So I tell them, listen, you were in the high school group. You might as well join the adult group and we'll continue you know, our adventures together where we will continue to explore new works and, and, and perform in this collaboration. And this and it gives them basically a sense of community, which is uh, uh, my main goal to, to have to have these uh, guitar players um, have that, that, that sense of belonging, you know, uh, which is very important for, for guitarists. You know, the guitar is funny. It's a string instrument, but it's not a part of the actual orchestra. So we kind of have to branch off and, and, and do our thing. Um, but, you know, my, Michael, this, this all started because I was part of a very, very important guitar orchestra. I was the concertmaster in the New York City Classical Guitar Orchestra. I was there for about 10 years. And, of course, COVID came in and uh, put us on hiatus. And um, we still had some players that were lingering. So as soon as COVID started to, I guess we could say, dwindle down a little bit, I was fortunate enough to, uh, to start the New Jersey Guitar Orchestra. We still had some some players that were very interested, and uh, we're going into now our third year, uh, and it's um, it's really looking good. We have some very 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 good players and very ambitious folks there. Fantastic! And I'm glad to hear that you no know, COVID didn't put the nail on that coffin. It's something you've been able to revive and keep going because uh, it's been a real tragedy how many music teachers sort of gave up what they were doing and shut down or got totally wiped out. So uh, it's a really Great to hear that you kept something going. Oh yes, no, absolutely. You know, it's funny. Uh, uh, the last performance that we did with the New York, the, the New York, uh, New York Classical Guitar Group, uh, our last performance happened to be in Carnegie Hall. Carnegie Hall, as you know, is the most prestigious hall here in the states um, to perform. And uh, we were opening up for another uh, great group called the United States Guitar Orchestra. And this is like the international group where players from really all around the world want to come in and, and perform for that group. Uh, they perform in Carnegie Hall and then they go um, and perform all around the world. Uh, when, we, when we did it a few years back, they performed in France and then they did it again and uh, they performed in Spain. And I bring that up because our piece that we were performing was a commission piece and it was called The Landloper. Uh, and The Landloper, I had to look this up, it, it means like a vagabond. Uh, and it's funny because at the end of all of that, who would have known that us guitar players would end up like vagabonds because we had no no, no sense of direction. Where do we go now? COVID is um, is uh, really taking a turn. Uh, so um, I'm, I'm lucky and very fortunate to have started the New Jersey Guitar Orchestra, which is really right across the river. And like I said, we have some good players and we're doing some good things. That's really, really cool. So for anyone listening who's in a similar position to you where they might be a high school teacher or might even have a studio and a decent network of past students, how do they go about starting their own guitar orchestra? Really, the key there is to, is to check out your fellow music colleagues, especially music teachers. And hopefully the music teachers could have some sense of, um, of, of playing guitar. Uh, one of the things that is happening here in the States is a lot of uh, music teachers don't actually play guitar. And it's not really their fault. You know, um, the, they, they, they went into the whole field of music, most likely playing a band instrument. So they probably majored in band or orchestra in, in the university. So one of the difficult thing, uh, things is to find an actual guitar major who actually plays guitar. So if you could find uh, actual guitar um, uh, players out there, I'm certain that they would also teach. And hopefully we could combine students together and start, start growing a little ensemble from, from, from that experience. Uh, here uh, in, this, in, in New Jersey, we're very fortunate because we have this uh, beautiful um, uh, all-state guitar orchestra. We call it the, guitar, the Honors Guitar Orchestra. And that really lends itself to having a feeder program into the New, the, the New Jersey group, the adult group. So really, the, the, the key thing there is to network, get to know your fellow teachers, get to know who the fellow teachers are um, in the district. 
And and who knows? Hopefully, there'll be enough players out there to form a little group. Yeah, really, really solid advice. And in terms of like picking out repertoire or uh, structuring a performance and what you should work on, how do you go about preparing? Say, if you were the leader of of the orchestra, how do you go about preparing and training your students and facilitating the actual thing to happen? Oh, that's a good question. Well, in, in regards to the ensemble, uh, many times you just want to go ahead and and look at YouTube. Uh, a fellow colleague of mine has been doing this uh, longer. His name is Chuck Houlihan, and he's over in Arizona. Um, and he has a, a great page. And his group, um, which is also college students that formed an ensemble, has um, performed many, many solid pieces. So uh, a lot of YouTube stuff has um, great materials out there. You also want to check out um, other websites like uh, Production Diaz over in Canada. They also have some uh, uh, graded ensemble pieces where you could look at the score and listen to a few seconds of it. And from there, you could sense if it's a good fit for your students. The key, though, is to try to find the piece that your students are going to fall in love with and could relate to. And not even students, but even your your adult players, because uh, then from there, they're really going to want to uh, continue uh, to practice. One of the other things that I'm doing is I'm involved with the uh, Augustine Foundation. And basically, the Augustine Foundation is a very generous uh, group of philanthropists that uh, give out donations and grants. And uh, many times they support commissions. So I have reached out to a couple of composers to write pieces for us. And let me tell you, Michael, there's nothing um, more exciting to tell um, my students or even my adults, hey, we're going to world premiere a piece that no one has ever heard of. And it really, really gets them excited. Um, this year, we're performing a piece by uh, Michael uh, Houghton over from England. Um, and uh, we're also performing another piece by a local composer, and his name is uh, Matt Halper. We have Michael Houghton's piece called Band of Hope. And um, we have Matt Halper's piece called Momento Mori. Um, and uh, yeah, so we're looking forward to the uh, to, to uh, world premiering these pieces uh, this season. That sounds absolutely amazing. And the sheer fact you've got you know composers coming to you with their own unique individual works specifically written for you, I think that is totally amazing for the composer and totally amazing for the people in the group to have that synergy working together to bring music to life. Yes, oh, definitely. I agree. Getting back to what we said a little bit earlier, because it sounds like you've got some wonderful things happening with this uh, guitar ensemble, uh, but getting people to the level where they can be in it. How can guitar teachers make classical music more accessible for younger students or people getting into it? Well, you know, even in my own private studio, I encourage the parents to make sure that they try to expose their own children to classical music by taking them to concerts. That's really number one. And we're very fortunate here, Michael. I mean, we're 20 minutes away from the greatest city in the world here, New York City, where the students could go to a Broadway show and listen to music or go to Lincoln Center. Or here in in, um, in, in my neck of the woods, we have um, the performing arts centers of uh, Bergen County and also the New York Performing Arts Centers, um, where the students could get exposed to actually um, listening to classical music. Another great thing about my uh, uh, primary job, Arts High School, is that uh, we make sure that the students get exposed by taking them on field trips to these places like the NJ Pack that I mentioned, which is uh, a five-minute uh, bus ride there. And, and we comp the students' tickets, so we make sure that they get that experience. So it's it's really um, as as long as we involve the, the the parents and the students and we have that exposure to live concerts, I think that that really will motivate the students to uh, continue to really express themselves and and, and find their love of music, uh, hopefully through classical music. That's some really really great stuff there, and I think parents really do underestimate the impact that they can have on their own own children in terms of their musical development and yeah they can't teach them the instrument but they can facilitate so much at home from simply having music playing in the house or as you said taking them to a concert or watching a netflix documentary on a specific artist stuff like that students can just benefit so greatly from having that extra involvement by their parents yeah absolutely and well, and of course um 
in in my world here in the classical guitar world, I'm I'm so fortunate that I'm I'm getting my name out there, especially with the um, tar group. That when when we do a, a piece, for example, I try to focus on living composers. And it's so funny. Just last year, we were doing an ensemble piece uh, in arts high school. It's called La Sangunda. It was it and it was happened to be arranged by a marvelous classical guitar player. Uh, his name is uh, Jalil Rafik Kaya. Uh, from Turkey. And the students were learning the piece. And then I told them, okay, so I'm glad that you like the piece. And by the way, surprise, the composer's coming tomorrow. And they were like, what? Are you kidding? I was like, yeah, I happen to know the composer. And he, he just moved to New Jersey. And um, I uh, I secretly got in touch with him um, without the students knowing. And he came in the next day, the students played for him, which goes back into the whole motivation thing of getting him to practice. I mean, now the now the uh, the arrangers there are slash composers right in front of you. And no, we had a really, really good time. So um, yeah, so that's, uh, it, it's really important to really hone in on living composers as much as possible because you never know they could just pop in yeah that's absolutely amazing oh yeah i just get excited thinking about stuff like that and i guess that's one of the benefits of sort of being in the game as long as you have and participating in all these other groups and networking is that you build up this amazing network of composers and other teachers and musicians you can reach out to oh absolutely and you know what i i owe it all really to my my teachers um especially uh my college teacher her name is dr anna maria rosado and one of her main jobs was not only to teach us, but then she would bring in these major players as well. We would have master classes, and and that was really nerve wracking to uh, to play for these big names, you know. But then you know you you stay in touch with them, and it's so funny because it's like you read about them in in books and magazines, and then you know uh, here here you are talking to them on the phone or 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 through email and, um, you know, sharing ideas. So it's, 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 it's great. It, it, it's a small little world on uh, the classical field, Michael, but, um, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of encouragement. And do you do many, you went back to classical music. Do you do many contemporary play, much contemporary playing yourself or ever take these contemporary pieces and play them with your uh, orchestras and ensembles? Um, what we do, we, 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 we try to get arrangements of contemporary pieces that still use classical technique. Um, that's very big. One of the uh, uh, composers that my students really love is, uh, a, I think he's a Swedish-based composer slash German. His name is Jörg Kindle. Um, and uh, a great guy. We, we've been doing so many ensemble pieces by him. And just recently, um, he also uh, uh, joined us via Zoom. A sort of like the Zencaster uh, thing that we're doing together. And he just came in and we, we played for him through audio and you know he said hi and he loved it so yeah yeah so so that's my approach to try to uh, blend in contemporary stuff but also with classical technique fantastic yeah just sneaking a few in there under the radar <laughs> every now and then and i suppose you always run that risk that there's going to be someone in the ensemble if it goes too contemporary or strays too far from what is considered classical that they're not necessarily going to be happy but every now and then if you can take a, a well-known song and make it your own and and uh put the classical spin on it, it really does wonders for the players and the audience. Oh, yeah. The the idea here is to see, you know, to try to find that common ground. I mean, if we have a, a great a classical piece, even a classical ensemble that lends itself nicely to double bass or even the electric guitar, then of course, we'll definitely welcome it. But it's important, like I said, to really have that classical foundation. I find that classical guitarists especially are um, able to play other styles faster than uh, a guitarist that has only played, let's say, only blues guitar uh, and then now wants to play a classical piece. Now they, they, they really don't have that solid foundation. For the most part, speaking generally, of course. Yeah. And a little inside thing here, a couple of, or maybe during the, the back end of the COVID lockdowns, where I am in Australia, we were the place that had the two year long lockdown. So on the sort of last, <laughs> the last six months, I just bought like our classical books here in Australia and started going through a few pieces. And yeah, I could play almost anything on electric guitar, but I was a total beginner again doing fingerstyle classical. I could play a couple of Tommy Emmanuel pieces like relatively easily, but to go and do proper classical technique and, and I was a total beginner again. And I still pick up the books every now and then and go, okay, yeah, I'm going to try this and one day I'll become a fully qualified classical musician as well. So that's a funny little thing for me, but I could totally attest to that in terms of I've seen people come to my school from a classical background and easily adapt to contemporary music, 
but going the other way is a lot more challenging for most students. Oh, absolutely. And listen, you have John Williams over there, so you really got to get those chops up uh, really playing that uh, classical. I mean, <laughs> he's such a great guitarist. Yeah, that's it. Now, I know we're getting near to the end of our time, so I just had a, a couple more questions we can hopefully sneak in. You obviously deal with tons and tons of high-level players, more dedicated players than what your local music school is going to get more often than not. What are some of the traits of these successful players? What do they have in common? What separates them from the people who are, you know, do it for six months and then figure out it's just not for them? Oh, that's a good question. You know, the best successful players, whether or not they're even in my own private studio where I mostly teach um, really um, elementary slash middle school or even in my main job, arts high school, where I teach um, high school level, of course, and or even in my adult group, uh, the, the main component is self-efficacy. You know, when when you have the the um, that performer that is just self motivated to know that they're doing it for the passion and they're doing it for the importance of spreading uh, music uh, and the value of music to others. Um, that's such a a trait that really defines a highly successful student and a really highly successful player. Um, those students that you really don't have to convince, hey, listen, you know, you're playing the coolest instrument in the whole world. You know, they kind of already know that, you know, and they really just want to make sure that they uh, are, are self-motivated. So when they make that mistake, they're like, no, it's OK. I'm just, I'm just going to keep on um, um, at it until I get it. You know, uh, the problem with some of these uh, uh, players, though, is that they have to understand uh, that even though you're self-motivated, you still need specific strategies to make sure that you attain that goal. Many times, as you already know, that old adage where uh, you keep repeating something over and over and over again, um, but you, you know you don't you don't get it right. It, it, you have to tweak it. It's you you have to find why you're not getting it right, and you have to uh, attack it from different angles. So there's always you know, always that strategy uh, to make sure that you get better at it. But really, no matter what, um, it's it, it all boils down to self-efficacy. If you if you are self-motivated, you're much easier to teach. Um, you will definitely um, uh, excel faster at your craft. Fantastic answer. And do you think that's something that some people just have from day one and that got that spark? Or is it something that people can develop or as teachers, are there ways that we can develop that with our students? There are some people that are definitely born this way. I, I could attest even to uh, my own, my, my middle child, Joshua, who uh, when he makes a mistake, he tells himself, no, I have to do better. I have to do better. And uh, I, I hardly have to motivate him. But I really feel like the number one job of, uh, of a teacher is to make sure that you're really motivating the students to, to do better. You know, I just did a, a little concert in my own private studio and I had to remind the parents, you know, that even if uh, your child is up there just playing a, a simple melody, I want you to applaud them like they won the Fields Medal. Like, oh, yes, you did such a great job. This is fantastic. I mean, you know, w w when you have... Um, you know, they say it takes a village, right? So when you have not only the, the the teachers, but also the parents really go out of their way to to praise you and to motivate you, oh, that will stick with you. Because as you get older and those teachers are not there and those, you know, the adults are not there, you still can hear their voices in your head motivating you. So uh, it takes a village, Michael. And um, as you know, um, it, it starts young. But, um, you know, you, you have to make sure that you praise the students a lot and, and that will really help them in the long run. Yeah, that, that is so important to touch on. And the fact that if you can get the whole community involved at your own student concerts and cheering everyone on and, and helping nurture that self belief, that is so important. And yeah, it does take a village to raise a child or to raise a musician. And music is such an important part of the community that it, it shares back with everyone later on. Oh, absolutely. I agree. You're involved in so many projects. You've shared some amazing insights with us. Just before I ask the final question, can you just tell our listeners where they can hit you up on social media, where they can check uh, you guys out, and just those performance dates, just in case anyone's in the area where they can come and see you and your ensembles performing? Yeah, thank you. So you could definitely check out my website, jasonmartinez.org. Uh, Jason is J-A-Y-S-O-N. And there you could find all the cool things that we are doing, everything from arts, high school, 
to the New Jersey Music Educators Association High School Ensemble, also the New Jersey Guitar Orchestra, and all of our upcoming performances. We have three upcoming performances uh, that are going to be spectacular here in stateside. Uh, Long Island Guitar Festival, April 30th. Um, we have the New Jersey City University Guitar Fest, which will feature uh, Jalil Rafiq Kaya, and that is May 13th. And June 17th in Enloe Hall, Ken University, where we're going to be performing the LA Concerto. And that is going to bring in William Kanegeiser as our uh, guest soloist. And uh, on Facebook, uh, just look up uh, New Jersey Guitar Orchestra. You could also look up uh, NJMEA Guitar. And for more information on my private studio, you can look up Tremolo Music Studio. Awesome. We'll definitely post all the links to those wherever you guys are listening to the podcast. So if you're listening on Spotify or Top Music directly or anywhere else, just read the description and we'll have all those links to Jason there. Jason, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. My final question is, if you could only impart one last bit of information or advice or wisdom on our listeners, what would that be? Oh, it's such a good question. Um, you know. I would say you can teach a student a lesson for a day, Michael, but if you can teach him to learn by creating curiosity, he will continue the learning process as long as he lives. It's all about making sure that the student embraces the arts and keeps asking that question, how far can I take it? And um, you never know. Jason, on behalf of our top music listeners here, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I've learned tons. I imagine everyone else at home listening to this has as well. And I really, really hope there's a next time because I think we definitely just got the tip of the iceberg on the amazing wealth of information and knowledge you have on guitar teaching. And I definitely want to get you back here to pick your brain in the future. But thank you so much for your time today. And we'll look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Listeners at home, thank you so much. Peace out. Thank you, Michael. If you enjoy this show and want to hear more of our work, be sure to subscribe to this podcast. For links and resources mentioned in this episode, including a free ebook on how to find more guitar students, visit us at www.topmusic.co slash guitar or check out the show notes. And lastly, thanks again for listening and we'll see you in the next episode.